Hello and thank you for listening. I am so excited to say that I now have a Patreon that you can go to. I'll make sure I include the information in the show notes. But I have multiple tiers you can choose from. $1, $3, and $5 tiers. The $1 Spooky Soul tier gives you access to an online Discord community that is filled with fellow spooky souls. If you want to talk about creepy, cozy things, you might be interested in that. The $2 Cryptid Creature tier lets you have that online community, as well as giving you early access to episodes, bonus content, and secret bonus content. And the $5 Kachu Cuddler tier, named after my fluffy, squish-faced kitty, lets you have that online community, early access to episodes, and the bonus material, but it also lets you suggest future episodes and I'll shout out your name during each episode. Thank you so much for your listenership and support, and I can't wait to talk to you more soon. Hello, and welcome to Creepy Core and Folklore, the show about creatures, encounters, old tales, and myths. I'm your host, Iona Wayland a dark fantasy author, mental health professional, and overall curious person. I want to join other spooky souls and hear about these unusual stories. Hello, spooky soul, and welcome to another episode of Creepy Court and Folklore where today we're totally going to be diving into the fable realm of everything. And who else could I talk about regarding fables other than Aesop? So if you don't know, a fable is kind of a simplified story or kind of a very uh, short story that has a deeper meaning at the end of it and a lesson that you're supposed to learn and some pieces of wisdom that you're supposed to understand from that telling of it. And someone who has been famous for their fables since 6th century BCE is Aesop. So Aesop uh, is this legendary figure who was totally known for his fables and moral tales. And he's this very timeless symbol of wisdom and storytelling. Um, He's still very mysterious. I don't know if the history behind him is just because he's from so long ago, or if it's because he was a slave, which we can get into in a second. It's just so compelling that his storytelling abilities are still alive and well and told to children to this day. His stories have just transcended centuries and cultures. And like he has this legacy of wisdom for people listening to them or retelling them or reading them. He lived in ancient Greece, um, and they think it was during the 6th century BC, but the exact dates are still debated to this very day, and his origins are unclear. So some accounts suggest, actually, I think most, uh, from what I researched, most accounts suggest he was born as a slave. Um, There are a few that say that he was born as a free man. I think that... um, this is me being a little jaded, but I think that there's a difference between, you know, how history will tell itself to kind of gloss over certain things and um, 
if someone ends up being really famous and having this wisdom that's been shared, I think sometimes history likes to co-sign it as if they were there all along. Um, and those telling Aesop's story might have rosy colored things that happened to them um, and how they supported him instead of talking about the glaring truth that may be the truth. I highly suspect is the truth that he was born a slave. And while he traveled from place to place, he would kind of collect these stories and want to involve pieces of what he's learned and weave them into his tales. It's really cool, too, because a lot of his fables depict anthropomorphized animals, um, animals that can speak, animals that are sometimes on two legs instead of four legs if they're a four-legged animal, um, and they're able to communicate with each other in this very unique way. And it gives this like, it just gives this whimsical, fantastical element to it long before fantasy has the legs and the evergreenness with readers that fantasy and fiction does today. It's possible that he is one of the first people to collect stories in this way and create stories in this way in an anthological type of format and put the stories together so that it's easily understood and can be distributed by word of mouth. So he took this legacy of fables and short stories and their animal characters and moral lessons and he's kind of still and he is still known for like teaching those values and those ethics and um, why sometimes common sense and ethics are difficult to do at the time or he was very like compassionate about his storytelling and going through the process of like, I know you think that if you take these ethical shortcuts that you might get to your certain goal faster, but in reality, it's only going to bite you in the butt. Me sounding like a scholar describing Aesop. Um, Some of his most famous fables include the tortoise and the hare, the fox and the grapes, and the boy who cried wolf. I am unfamiliar with the fox and the grapes, but I looked up all three of them and I have heard the tortoise and the hare and the boy who cried wolf. Um, But I collected uh, the stories and we'll give you a summation of them at the end of the episode. So Aesop's fables, how I kind of alluded to a second ago, have this profound influence on world literature. They've been translated into like so, so many languages and they span across cultures because something that's fascinating about his work is that it's he's speaking to fellow human like he's speaking to humanity and the reason it's so translatable not just literally translatable but like ethically morally and like legacy translatable is because the wisdom is so true and so relatable to most humans on this planet And it's influenced things like every time I think about Aesop's fables, that kind of vibe that I'm getting um, kind of reminds me of like Anansi the Spider and old folk tales that are told through oral tradition. It reminds me of Beatrix Potter. It reminds me of Wind in the Willows, although I don't remember who the author is for that. Let me check. By Kenneth Graham. Pretend I remembered that off the top of my head. And other really beautiful tales. I mean, even Frog and Toad that I am fighting myself to not buy like the complete set of Frog and Toad for my Babo because I, first of all, who doesn't love frogs? Who doesn't love amphibians? Who doesn't love bumpily toads? 
We love these things. We love to see it. We love to read about it. We like to see them depicted as characters that are just like really great friends and just support each other through all their fumbles. And now I'm off on a tangent about Frog and Toad, but like it's it shows how they're these fable-esque talking animal moral lesson type threads through all of them. And you can trace those threads back to Aesop and his influence on like centuries after centuries later. Actually, I think it's been millennia at this point. Oh, yeah, it's been two millennia (laughs) later. Other writers like Jean de la Fontaine in France and Brothers Grimm in Germany drew inspiration from Aesop's storytelling tradition. I would like to point out that Jean de la Fontaine and Brothers Grimm told very dark versions of things and the lessons learned were very harsh. (laughs) Although, you know what? When we look at Aesop's fables, you can also see uh, that some of the endings were harsh for some of the characters as well. And it, it gives that structure for the later moral and ethical literature to come. So not only did they give these lessons, um, they also gave insights into human behavior. So um, he would tackle themes like honesty, humility, and a lot of consequences of one's actions and not shying away from like, because I did this, then this happened. And here's how you can prevent that in the future. But you have to acknowledge it first. It's very, very simple structure and yet profound narratives throughout each fable that resonates with all kinds of readers at all different ages and a shit ton of different backgrounds. And this gave this like enduring appeal to his fables that are, he it's just masterful how he took complex ethical concepts and made them into like relatable characters often depicted as animals that could talk. And what's really cool, because I didn't realize this until researching Aesop, that his work has been depicted in forms of art like a Greek pottery, which is I, I have goosebumps right now thinking about like someone who was potentially born a slave and their written work or their oral work and stories were so captivating and so relatable and so well known and understood that it was put on pottery. Like, I mean, I can't imagine another level of fame from 6th century BC. Although I do admit I don't know much about ancient Greek history. And I love that I'm diving into it as an adult. I think that's a very interesting uh, experience uh, that I'm having diving into Greek literature and Greek history uh, as an adult and not, you know, not being as familiar with it. Um, And I think it's cool to know. I feel like that isn't that like kind of similar. Maybe you you might need to tell me if you know more about Greek history. (laughs) Um, But I would think that's similar as like having like a commercial on like Times Square or something. I would think. I I don't know how. Maybe there's nothing analogous to it because it's such a different time. But I think that means he was really notable. And even like in pop culture today, there his fables have influenced cartoons and children's books and even modern advertising because the moral lessons embedded in his story continue to be relevant in contemporary society. It's really cool, too, because Aesop's life and works 
were documented by ancient authors such Herodotus, Aristotle, Plutarch, and some of the most comprehensive sources on Aesop's fables are the collections attributed to later writers like Babrius and Phaedrus. And modern scholars have contributed to understanding Aesop's legacy through historical and literary analysis as well. And so I just think it's it's very much worth noting that his fables that have this complexity and depth, yet simplicity and understanding so that they're accessible for a lot of people are still cherished to this day because they provide universal wisdom. And his influence is on like literature, art, pop culture, shows this like enduring relevance and influence that he has because it makes his tales timeless. And it reminds us that the lessons embedded in his stories are still pertinent today as they were back in ancient Greece. But now that you know a little bit about his work and even though it's very mysterious, maybe some of his humble beginnings or traumatic beginnings... Uh, I think we can go into his three most well-known stories. So first up, I'm going to go over the tortoise and the hare. Once upon a time, a speedy hare boasted about how fast he could run. He laughed at the slow-moving tortoise and challenged him to a race. The race began and the hare quickly raced ahead. Confident of victory, he decided to take a nap under a tree. Meanwhile, the tortoise plodded along steadily without stopping. To everyone's surprise, the tortoise eventually crossed the finish line first, while the hare was still asleep. The moral of the story is, quote, slow and steady always wins the race, end quote, or, quote, slow but steady progress wins the race, end quote, or however you want to look at it. I also think there's an added uh, thing here about hubris or overestimating versus underestimating others or yourself. There's a lot of different takes from this that can be applicable to your life. I also like if I'm going to be like very reflective right now, I think that by I can I think that I, I could apply that to anything in my life right now like being a parent, um going to work full time and making sure I'm a really um capable and competent and supportive therapist is super important to me, but making sure that you don't overdo it as well um, and just have that steady routine and consistency can be helpful and not, you know, I can't think that I know more than I do. I'm remaining humble to that. Same thing with the podcast, staying humble of like, you know, I don't know about ancient Greek stuff, but I love learning about it, but I'm not going to pretend and race ahead and, you know, act real haughty about it. Just for some examples as to how it reflects in my life. And I would love to hear about how, if this reflects to your life, how you connected with this story. Next up is the fox and the grapes. And I have not heard this story. So you get to experience it with me (laughs) live time. One day, a hungry fox spotted a vine with ripe, juicy grapes hanging from it. The fox tried and tried to reach the grapes, but couldn't. Frustrated and unable to get to the grapes, the fox finally gave up, saying, those grapes are probably sour and not worth eating anyway. The moral of the story is that it's easy to despise what you cannot have. Interesting. Oh, you know what? I feel like I see this a lot when someone is getting 
not bad faith criticism, but like actual like constructive criticism or challenging, like gentle challenges to uh, thinking about things a certain way. Um, and they'll kind of respond and, and kind of shirk the responsibility or the reflection in that moment because they can't really hold space for it um, in that moment. Um, and they'll say like, you know, oh, they're probably just jealous or, um, you know, or they're probably miserable uh, and they're just m- trying to make me miserable, too. Um, and I think that's a really interesting like that's a very insightful thing for him to notice um, that it's easy to despise what you cannot have. Very interesting. Um, and let me know if you have uh, any thing you've noticed where the fox and the grapes is pertinent to anything in your life or people you know, or even how you may have been at one point. Because this is what I love about the stories. Like, I feel like a lot of people at some point, including myself, have been to a point where like, ugh, I can't have that, but it's probably awful. Like, because you're, you're trying to like, it's very psychological. Like, you're trying to process not being able to have access to something. This is really cool. And then the last one, the infamous, the boy who cried wolf. There was a young shepherd boy who tended a flock of sheep. To have some fun, he falsely cried out that a wolf was attacking the sheep. The villagers rushed to his aid, only to find out there was no wolf. The boy laughed at their expense. The boy repeated this trick several times, and each time the villagers came running. Eventually, a real wolf came to attack the sheep, and the boy cried for help again. But this time, the villagers did not believe him, and the wolf attacked the flock. The boy learned a valuable lesson about honesty. And the moral of the story is, dishonesty can lead to loss of trust. And I think that that's also pretty timeless. I'm not saying that someone has to tell the truth 1000% of the time. But when it comes to I could see this as taking advantage of someone's goodwill. I could see this being um, over exaggerating distress so that um, you get the attention that you need, but you're doing so in a way that'll burn the other person out. I could see all sorts of ways that this is still relevant to today. Of course, the way I'm thinking about these for each of these three, I'm noticing now uh, that I'm applying it to like my work um, as like more of mental health therapist um, and a trauma and child therapist, which is interesting because I feel like the reason for me using like thinking about them from that lens, which I don't always typically do while podcasting, like I never fully lose the lens of psychologically working through something but it it just kind of like it's more prevalent today and I think it's because what Aesop was doing was more in like anthropological observant uh human behavior recognition kind of way it's very psychological um very related to sociology from what I can understand I'm not like a sociology like person I don't know as much about it as psychology, for example, but I can absolutely see him just being this person that absorbs human behavioral patterns. And he did so in such a way that it's still relevant. It's still relevant. So that was really cool to look at some of his work. And thanks for listening to some of them with me um, and learning more about this mysterious guy who's still a very valuable part of society today because of his memorable and powerful stories. And I will talk to you next week.
thanks to all you spooky souls out there for listening to Creepy Core and Folklore. Follow on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok if you're looking for more uncanny content. If you have your own tales to tell, you can email creepycoreandfolklore at gmail.com. If you liked this, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts or tell a friend who might enjoy these stories to spread the word. If you're interested in dark fantasy, check out my Hollowverse series. Ashes is available now in paperback and ebook on Amazon and audiobook on Audible. And the sequel is underway. I'm Iona Wayland, and I'll see you next time.